In the beginning, there was darkness. Then, there was Paul Brown. Paul Brown transformed the game. Hello, Paul Brown here. Welcome to the first ever International Browns Podcast. Good morning, Cleveland. This is the second attempt of doing this. After doing 300 episodes, I had never had any technical issues. And this one, me and Scott Petrak recorded it and it went missing. So, Scott, it's great to have you back on and apologies for getting you back on. Um, but let's make this even better than last time because I really enjoyed the last po- podcast we did together. Cool. Sounds good. Bit of Brown's breaking news. Uh, Josh McCown, he's uh, now retired. Any thoughts uh, on that at all? Yeah, you know what? Josh was one of my favorite players ever to deal with. I, I mean, I could give you several examples of how he went out of the way to you know, be good to the media. I thought anytime we talked to him, he was insightful. You know, he wasn't in Cleveland very long, but he had an impact on the team. He had an impact on the organization, impact on, guy, on players. That he shared a locker room with, he's just he's just a good guy to have around, and I think he knows a ton about football. He's been through the ups and downs. You know, he's a relatively high draft pick, bounced around a ton, has seen a lot, has seen a lot of bad, has seen some good. So I know he's going to go to work for ESPN right now, but I could see him trying to get into coaching someday, maybe when his kids are a little older, and I, I think he'd be phenomenal. I would take Josh in my organization, any day, whatever role he wanted to be in. And um, how do you feel about if he came in, say, and replaced someone like Dean Stanton? Do you think he could do that? Or like being that coach to Mayfield, or he just can't play anymore? Yeah, I, well, I don't think he wants to play anymore. You know, because he could have gone back to the Jets. You know, he and Sam Darnold have a good relationship. They were together last year. I just think he decided it was time to give it up playing. So I don't think that's an option. Um, you know, and Josh was getting hurt too much at the end of his career to be a super reliable backup quarterback. But I would take him as, you know, my third guy. I would take him as my quarterback coach. I really would. I think he is, like I said, I, I just can't see enough positive things about him. And that's, that's the feeling throughout the league. I remember when the Browns wound up signing him, and, you know, he, you look up his stats, and his stats are terrible, and he lost, like, 15 games in a row or something. And I'm like, why would they go out of the way to sign this guy? And then you start talking to people who know him, and it becomes clear as crystal because he's that good a guy. And I, I know the numbers aren't – I'm sure they aren't what Josh would have wanted him to be, them to be, but he could play a little bit. He had a good arm. He was a really good athlete. He still plays basketball and can throw it down. So I, I think he was just – I think some of the numbers were unfortunate. You know, he made some big mistakes and some critical moments in close games that you can remember. But he also had some big games. You know, I think the last win the Browns had in Baltimore, or the last win the Browns had until, you know, they won last season, you know, when they beat the Jets last season, was when he won in Baltimore. And he threw for like 429 yards or something. I think it's a Browns record. So he had his moments, and there was a bunch of talent there. 
I just think he bounced around too much for that talent to ever kind of show up as much as it should have. Yeah, I just did some research. He was a third round pick. Yeah, third round, third round pick Arizona. You know, so I mean, really, I mean, he's like six five. He's got a big arm. He runs. Like there was reason to be excited about him, even when he was playing at thirty five, thirty six. But it felt like he never got a chance to gain enough traction. You know, he would struggle, and then a team would replace him. And then you get that journeyman label, and it's difficult. You know, and when he was in Cleveland, he's surrounded by such bad talent that you know he couldn't do very much. But like I said, from a person standpoint, from a knowledge of the game standpoint, I, I really I can't say enough good stuff about him. And I don't know if you can find somebody in the league who knows Josh well to say something bad about him. Well, yeah. Well, um, we wish him all the best and watch this space. Maybe we'll see him back at the Browns one day. Yeah, that'd be cool. Excellent. Let's talk about um, the defense and let's start, go straight in and let's start with the, the defensive end. And we, don't forget, we're going about what you saw in camp versus maybe what we can read and stuff. So it's, it's more about what your eyes saw. And yeah, what obviously there was no pads on around this time, but what could you work out on the defensive end uh, position there, Scott? Well, I think what's the thing that jumps out to me is that Gennard Avery, right? The fifth round pick a year ago who was drafted as a linebacker. He played linebacker at Memphis. He's been, he's still spending most of his time at defensive end. And to me, that's noteworthy. When we talk about the linebacker position in a minute, I'm not going to really mention him because I don't think he's in the mix to be one of those key contributors at that spot, which runs a little contrary to what John Dorsey told us when they cut Jamie Collins. You know, he said, yeah, Gennard Avery was like the first guy he mentioned to be the possible replacement. But anytime I'm looking at him, he's working with the defensive ends. And then I think you got to talk about Chad Thomas, you know, the third round pick a year ago, hardly played. And he was a little frustrated by not playing last year. I talked to him at the, near the end of the season and he didn't understand why he thought he was getting good feedback from the coaches. He thought he was ready to play and he wasn't playing. And, you know, he's working with the second team mostly. When, you know, there's a practice I remember watching when Vernon and Garrett weren't there and he worked in with the first team. Now, it's really hard, like you mentioned, to tell how good he's doing or how well he's doing, but he's going to get that opportunity. And to me, one of the key things to watch this year is what Chad Thomas does. Is he able to be a guy that you can count on in a rotation or does he just kind of fade away like some, some missed draft picks do? It's going to be really interesting to see where the battle goes with him and Zettel. And every time I watch Zettel on TV, I thought he played really well. He always seemed to make impact. Well, he did. And, you know, and he had big numbers for Detroit. And then they wound up cutting him in. It didn't make a ton of sense when Detroit cut him early last year. And then the Browns picked him up and he didn't play a lot. But he has a pedigree. And, you know, I thought it was interesting when Freddie Kitchens, we were asking about the D-line. And not having Gerald McCoy. And he said, I still think the D-line is the strength of the team. And he said, I think we're 10 deep. So I'm not going to argue with him that the front line is, could be the strength of the team, right? You got four guys, you got four, four Pro Bowl-type players in Garrett, Vernon, Richardson, and Ogunjobi. And then you start to look at that depth. And I think Freddie was talking about Avery, Chad Thomas, Chris Smith, who is versatile, can play inside and out, 
and I thought was an undervalued member last year. I thought he played well in his first season over from Cincinnati. And then Zettel, and then I think it gets a little murkier, murkier when you move inside. You know, you got Trevin Coley, who started but hasn't had much of an impact. You know, and then you have Carl Davis. You just don't have a whole lot of guys. That was why I think they were trying to get, obviously, Gerald McCoy, because they thought the third guy in that tackle rotation would be important. So it wouldn't stun me if we get to the end of camp and you saw maybe the Browns add another interior lineman to beat that up because I, I like the front, but I'm worried about the depth a little bit. Yeah. And um, some of the fringe players, I don't know if you saw any of them play would be Brian Price. Do you see him play at all? Yeah. You know, I mean, he was around last year. He's a big guy. Um, you know, I think he would compete for that fourth tackle spot at the end. But again, it feels like, that's a spot where you can upgrade, you know, and, and maybe he knocks it out of the park in training camp, but you know, you look at that name and it just doesn't say, all right, I really trust this guy. Then again, they're also going to be in a bunch of nickel and you don't play D tackles as often as you used to. They don't get as many snaps. So, you know, maybe they're, maybe they're fine being a little thin there, but their pursuit of McCoy leads me to think that they're, that they think they need to add somebody. Yeah, I think the other players there were um, DeVroe Lawrence, number 99. I don't know if you saw him at all. Yeah, you know, he was around all last year, kind of on and off the practice squad. He's a smaller guy. I think he's got some athleticism. So, you know, again, he's going to be in that mix. None of these guys we're going to talk about jumped out at me. But, again, it's really hard to do that without the pads on. You know, I think you need to see him in training camp. You need to see him in the preseason. And they have a bunch of numbers there. The question is, does any of that depth, is that depth quality enough? And does somebody step up, you know, before John Dorsey feels the need to make another move? Like Daniel Kuehl, for example, he's been on and off our practice roster. and Right. And he's got, he, yeah, he's similar to Lawrence to me. They're similar body type, you know, just about 300 pounds, more of the quickness factor inside. You know, and in today's NFL, you don't see a ton of, you know, the 350-pound guys anymore. I mean, that's why they got rid of Danny Shelton, right? So I think they're looking for somebody with the quickness and maybe a little bit undersized that you can team with an Ogunjobi or a Richardson. So it, it feels like, you know, I, I, I like to call him ukulele. That's what his name looks like. But I think ukulele and Lawrence are kind of fit that mold. And there's one, there's one last person, Scott, I want to ask you about is uh, Watt Ray. He's been like this year's Desmond Harris in the aspect of one of our best undrafted free agents possibility as a defensive end. Number 61, did you see a lot of him at all? You know what? I didn't. I noticed him out there, um, but not enough to say I, I feel comfortable that this guy's going to get, that this guy's got a legitimate shot to make the roster or stick around. Um, you know, I saw him in the rotation, but I just still think he's got a long way to go. All right, great. Well, look, let's move on to um, uh, the linebackers. If I remember correctly, playing a lot of uh, two linebackers. Was that the case in practice? It really was. And I, I think part of that is probably because they're not in pads, so you don't see any goal line work. You don't see short yardage situations where you'd be in your base personnel or your, you know, two and three tight end formations. Having said that, I mean, we're talking – I don't think it's an exaggeration to say 90 to 
of the time that I was paying attention in 11 on 11s, they were nickel. And I was looking to see who that third linebacker was or would be in the, you know, your traditional 4-3 base. And there weren't a lot of times. Now, it wound up being a Darius Taylor, but you would go either a complete practice or most of a practice without seeing them line up that way. So I think that's interesting, and I think it means, as of now, you're going to see a ton of Joe Schobert and a ton of Christian Kirksey, just like we've seen for the last few years. And the question then becomes, does a guy like Taki Taki, the rookie out of BYU, is he able to take snaps away from one of those two veterans who are entrenched? And it didn't look that way in minicamp, but it's not outlandish to think it could change once you get to training camp. And some other names, Mac Wilson, for example. Yeah, you know what? I like him. You know, I, Alabama didn't want – Nick Saban at Alabama did not think he should leave, didn't think he was going to be high enough draft pick, thought he could improve his stock if he came back. And he's probably right. You know, Mac went in the fifth round, but he doesn't care that he went in the fifth round. He thought it was the right decision. He thinks he can make an impact. You know, Ian Takitaki are similar type players, so it'll be interesting to see who takes a lead. Uh, they're both really athletic. I think Taki Taki is more physical, and that's probably a hill that Wilson's going to have to climb and something he's going to have to prove to get that playing time that he's looking for. Uh, but he's a guy that I would expect to make this roster, and if he didn't, I think that would be a disappointment. And then the, I guess the other name is Ray Ray Armstrong. Yeah, I mean, Ray Ray's a veteran guy. He's a good special teamer. He's on the roster last year. You know, I, I think when you look at it, you go, Schobert's on the team, Kirksey's on the team, Sione Takitaki's on the team. Yeah, I, I would say Darius Taylor, right? The Browns went out and signed him into agency, and he could play special teams, play all three linebacker spots. So there's four. And if we're assuming they keep six, I think the leaders are Mac Wilson and Ray Ray Armstrong. You know, those would be the six that I said right now. You know, and, that, and that's counting Avery there as a defensive end. Yeah, okay. And then if we move into a uh, uh, cornerback, obviously um, it seemed from what I read that um, Ward and um, Greedy were taking a lot of the snaps. But is that what you saw? It was. And, and it, to me, it was a surprise that Greedy was taking as many first-team reps as he did. Because, first of all, a lot of times the coaches want to make those rookies earn their reps. And we saw it with Denzel Ward last year. Greg Williams was not putting him out there with the ones until the rest of the veterans on defense said, hey, this guy needs to be with the ones. He's a starter. Put him out there. So it surprised me that in that aspect. And also, you know, when we were out there for rookie minicamp, I thought Gritty struggled. And he wasn't going against the OBJs and Landrys of the world. No, he's going against undrafted rookies because the Browns didn't draft any rookies or didn't draft any receivers. So, you know, he struggled. He looked hesitant to me, especially playing off coverage. And then when we talked to him at the end of minicamp, he said that he thought in OTAs, he really struggled at the, at the first practice and kind of was questioning himself. Did he fit in the NFL? And then he just turned it around. He got serious. He said he, you know, was watching more film. He was listening to the coaches. And he made a ton of progress earned his way to get those first-team reps, and then I thought played great. Had two interceptions of Baker in one of the minicamp practices. Took one of them back for a pick six when he sat on, you know, an out route and jumped it. So, you know, as of now, 
I wouldn't have said this a month ago, but right now I, I have little doubt in my mind it's going to be greedy in Denzel as your two starters week one. And that pushes, you know, TJ Carey and Terrence Mitchell to coming off the bench. Yeah. And did they look like they were, were they training with the second team? Yeah. You saw a lot of TJ Carey is the nickel corner and he played a lot in the slot. So I could see that. I was a little surprised that he was ahead of Terrence Mitchell, but maybe they like him in the slot better than they like Mitchell in the slot. You know, they could just think he's better on the outside. Um, so, yeah, I, I think then you're looking at, I think it's Ward, Greedy. Now, not to say there won't be a battle in training camp for that second spot, but I think it's going to shake out as Ward, Williams, Carey, Mitchell is your one, two, three, four. Mm. And then that tier three, there's a lot of names there. Uh, I think the first name that pops out to me is uh, obviously Donnie Lewis, someone they um, drafted this year. They got Philip Gaines, who had a great year, according to PFF. Yeah, you know, the Donnie Luce is interesting because he did not get to practice at all because he's coming off of the broken foot he suffered in one of the All-Star games. He just said on Instagram, I think it was at the end of last week, that he'd been cleared. So hopefully he'll be able to go in training camp. He'll have some ground to cover, you know, or ground to make up to get back in that competition. I think their number five, though, right now would be Tavier Thomas. You know, he played a little bit last year in the second half of the season after he got picked up. And then Philip Gaines would probably be number six. Uh, you know, and so I think Donnie Lewis has to fight into that battle and beat one of those guys out. You know, assuming, like, let's say they keep six corners, I think Lewis would be fighting for that sixth spot. And then, then the other guys, uh, Justin Burris, 31. Um, a guy that we did actually see quite a lot on was um, Dean. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. You know, um, yeah, you mentioned Burris, and he was around a little bit last year, so I don't think you can write him off. Obviously, Dorsey feels comfortable with him. But Javante Dean, he w- he looked way better than Greedy in that early rookie minicamp. That when we saw crazy. Him. I know, I know. And that doesn't, you know, it's three practices. That doesn't mean it's going to play out that way. But he was acting, he made plays early. He's got good size. He's from a big school, right? Went to Auburn. Uh, so... I think he has a chance. He's one of those – and he was only a tryout guy in the rookie camp. And then they signed him, and then he still continued to show up. You know, he's not making the same plays that he was in rookie minicamp, but you do notice him out on the field. So he's a guy to keep an eye on. It would not be a stunner to see him win one of those last spots. Mm. Yeah, I think um, Ponder, we, we heard some good things about him. But did you see anything about him on the, on the uh, OTAs? Not, not anything that really jumped out at me and said, okay, you know, I got to make a note about this guy. You know, you, you, I mean, you know the name and you see him, but I didn't see the consistency where I thought to myself, okay, I got to I gotta really remember this guy. Yeah, Pipkins or Robert Jackson or the other two. Yeah, Pip, Pipkins guy has the best name on the team, right? Lindsey Pipkins. So I noticed him for that. And, and that means, you know, if, you write, if, I, if I'm looking at my roster to see who 41 is, and I did that a number of times, at least I, I think that's a good sign for a player, right? A, a long shot. At least he's catching my eye, and I assume he's catching the coaching staff's eye and the personnel guy's eyes. So, you know, I wouldn't rule him out. It just feels, again, that he's got – it's an uphill climb for these guys, especially when you have so many big names, whether it's high draft picks, free agents, guys with experience already on this team from last year. It's a tough climb to overtake those guys. 
All right, well, let's move on to the safety room. Obviously, there's one name, Randall. Was he uh, practicing? Yeah, he was out there. He looked, you know, he looked like Demarius Randall. He talked. You know, the question for him is, does he get a contract extension that he's looking for? You know, does that happen in training camp? Does it happen before the season? Or do they shut it down and he gets to play out this last year? And then that would be interesting because, you know, the safety market went through the roof this year. And to me, he's a Pro Bowl type player. He hasn't been to a Pro Bowl yet, but I thought he played close to a Pro Bowl level for a lot of last season. Uh, so yeah, I'm just looking to see, do the Browns try to sign him or do they let it go and then figure out at the end of next, at the end of the season, is he worth committing money to? Because we all know that that's the next decisions for John Dorsey, right? Or he's already rebuilt the roster. So then it becomes, who do I give the big money to? And you know it's going to go to Garrett. You know it's going to go to Mayfield. And those type of players, does he give it to a guy like Demarius Randall? Does he give it to a guy like Joe Schober? Those are the first two decisions he's going to have to make with this next crop of guys. What do you think Randall will cost us per year in a new contract? I, I mean, I was looking at those some of the contracts the guys signed last year, the Earl Thomases and LaMarcus Joyner and Teron Matthew. I mean, it's it's $10 million a year, I think, for Demarius. Because I, I think he's a step below those guys. But I think you, I think you could make, probably get him now for 10 a year. But if he hit free agency, especially if he had a Pro Bowl year, who knows how much he could command. I always see safeties as like, you hear like Eric Berry floating around and not getting signed. I always think there's bargains to have in the safety room. Um. That's a good question. You know what? I don't know. I think there's certain positions that I would not pay big money to. You know, I would not pay right guard a lot of money, but it didn't stop Sashi from signing Kevin Zeitler to a bunch of money, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I don't know if I'd spend a ton of money on inside linebacker, you know, and you can make that argument with Luke Keekley. You know, he's worth it. Um, I guess I guess I wouldn't spend a lot of money across the linebacker core. Maybe I'd pay one guy and then kind of figure it out with the other couple of guys. And I almost feel like safety is similar to that. Having said that, if a guy stands out for you and you think he can be one of your four best players on defense, then I don't, well, I don't like to have hard and fast rules. And I feel differently about safety than I would, say, right guard. I think it's more important, and I think, especially in that last line of defense, that if you don't have the right guy back there, it could be really detrimental. And I do like the fact that Demarius Randall has the versatility to play corner, although I don't think he likes doing that. Yeah. You know, I think he wants to be just a free safety. So I don't know. I don't. I, I guess I'm. I guess my final thought would be I wouldn't draw a line in the sand. I wouldn't say I'm not going to pay a free safety ever because I do think it's valuable enough to pay that guy. And who did, who did you see playing most with him in the first team? Well, the problem was Morgan Burnett didn't practice much, you know. So, and he told us it's no big deal. He was just resting to get ready for training camp. But he's going to be the guy. But when he wasn't out there, which was most of the time, it was Jermaine Whitehead. And, wow. And he's a guy that, to me, he, he might have been the star of the offseason. Because he's a guy that was completely off my radar. You know, the Browns claimed him off waivers in November last year because Green Bay caught him because he'd gotten ejected from a primetime game 
he kind of open face slapped one of the Patriots guys in a scuffle and got ejected. And that must have been the last straw. And they had a bunch of stuff going on in Green Bay, right? So LeBron's claimed and played a little bit on special teams. You know, nothing didn't raise any flags like, oh my gosh, Jermaine Whitehead. But it did in this offseason. He was with the o- in the OTAs, he was either the number one nickelback or the number one strong safety. And that carried over to minicamp, and he saw almost all the reps at strong safety. So now I think he's on this team. I think he's your third safety. I think you'll see him play a good amount. I think Steve Wilkes, the coordinator, is going to use a lot of three safety packages. Because if you don't want to go completely nickel with a third corner because you think that corner isn't a great tackler, you can go with that third safety as opposed to a third linebacker, and it gives you more flexibility. And I think Whitehead has that role. So do you think they're going to take five safeties uh, on the 53-man roster? I think, there's a, I think there's a real good chance. To me, it's, you know, it's Randall, Burnett, assuming he stays healthy, Whitehead, and Eric Murray, right, who they got with that trade for Emmanuel Agba. I think those four guys, it feels like they're locked in. And then, you know, Cedric or Sheldrick Redwine, the corner or the, the pick out of Miami, I'm sure they're expecting him to make the roster, right? So, yeah, I, I think you can keep five and maybe think Whitehead can be a little bit of a crossover if you need him to play some nickel. Uh, you know, Murray's got some versatility. So I could for sure see him keeping five safeties. Interesting. I can't wait to see that safety room. I think it's uh, really exciting. And here's a little quick question for you. Do you think the safety room is stronger than it was last year? Yeah, that's a good question. And, you know, I, I'm going to say yes because I think Randall's going to be even better this year because he was banged up a lot last year. You know, he had the heel injury and he played through, but it limited what he could do. And then, you know, Morgan Burnett is more experienced than Jabril Peppers, but Peppers, you know, is coming into his prime. I thought he played fine last year, but at no point did this offseason I go, man, they're going to have a hard time without Jabril Peppers. I just don't think he had enough of an impact where I felt that way. So, well, I think if you were going to go straight up, would I rather have Peppers and Burnett? I would say yes. But it, that's, that's in a vacuum. I want OBJ, right, which means you get rid of Peppers. And then if, even if you include Jermaine Whitehead and you include Eric Murray, I think they're just deeper overall at the safety position. So, so the answer is yes, and that's not a knock on Jabril Peppers. It just – well, it is a knock on Peppers, but it's not saying I wouldn't want him back. It's saying he, he never made himself into a player that you couldn't afford to lose. I was a Peppers fan. So uh, when I first saw the OBJ deal, my first thing that went into my head was, ouch, we lost Peppers and we've got another offense as, with our first round pick. Is this what we really, really need? And then when the deal actually um, simmered, I actually thought it was not a bad deal when you think you get OBJ for, for that. But... At first, I was a bit like, I like Peppers, and I I rated him. He had a great year last year, and I thought, with OBJ's injuries, I was like, have we really done this? Really? See, you thought Peppers had a great year last year? I did say, okay, maybe not a great year, but a better, definitely a better year. He was progressing. Yeah, I'll I'll give you that for sure. And obviously, strong safety is a better spot for him, right, than playing – the deep angel position in Greg Williams, you know, at free safety. 
And, you know, he had a, he had a couple big plays in that Denver game, that Denver win. You know, he had a couple big plays. He had the blitz that sealed the game. But I, I guess when they drafted him so high, I, it really raised my expectations. And I didn't think he had enough impact defensively, and I didn't think he had enough impact on special teams. I think when he left Michigan, when he left Michigan, I was expecting our return game to really improve. All sorts of crazy special stuff that was going to happen with him, and we didn't really see that. So um, yeah, that was yeah a little bit upsetting seeing him from the Michigan days. But yeah, I thought from year one to year two there was definitely an improvement, and uh, yeah, I was hoping he'd be there year three. But hey, look. We can't look at the past. OBJ's a great player, one of the best wide receivers in the league. Uh, I think the deal was great when you look at it from a value point of view. Yeah, I agree. And, and you know, Peppers could have a big year with New York. I'm not saying he won't. I, it, I just – I don't think the Browns are losing, losing sleep about not having Peppers. All right, well, let's go. I've got two final things for you, kickers and punters. And I'm afraid to say it, it, it seems like from a Browns Twitter point of view, it's quite head-to-head. Is that true or not from what you saw? Yeah, I would say that's true. I think, I mean, the kickers are more obvious for us to watch, right? Because you can say they made a field goal or didn't make a field goal. Um, I thought Joseph had a better OTAs in minicamp than Seibert did. Uh, having said that, I, feel, I still think Seibert has the edge because he's a fifth-round pick and GMs don't like to cut their fifth-round picks no matter what position they are. But – I think Seibert's going to have to his work cut out for him. He's got to prove that he can be consistent. You know, he's had a couple of bad misses, a couple of short misses. When I've watched, he's got a big leg. I think it's a bigger leg than Joseph has, but Joseph also has a big leg. So that's going to be, you know, that's, that's going to be right up there with right guard is kind of the two biggest position battles once you get to training camp. Any way you see edging at this moment? I mean, if you, if you went straight on performance, I would go Greg Joseph. But I think it's. I think no matter what they say, the competition will be slanted towards Cyber because he was a fifth round draft pick. And sometimes politics does come into NFL. Right. Right. There's no doubt about it. You know. And then you look at punters, and you know, Mike Pree for the coordinator swears that the Scottish Hammer, Jamie Gillen, is going to get a fair shot. That it's not just, you know, kind of a courtesy. He's not a camp leg, and I believe him. And, you know, he's got a big left leg. And he's going to be way cheaper than Colquitt would be. The question is, can he learn how to hold well enough? Because he's doing it for the first time. And do the coaches trust him? You know what you're getting in Colquitt, right? He's been doing it forever. And this kid hasn't been doing it forever. Can you kind of turn over the kicking game to an unproven guy, especially if you also go with a rookie? You know, could you go into the season – with the, with the playoff expectations they have, could you really go into it with a rookie kicker and rookie punter? I think that's a little risky. Especially with our cap position being healthy at the moment. I know there's going to be some knock-ons later on. But, yeah, I don't think it's a position where we've got a player that's a, I believe is a pro bowl player. Yeah, why, why would you risk that? Um, especially when we lost so many games or drew games last year to, to bad kicking. Um, and Freddie has come out and said special teams is so important this year. Right. I, I'm with you. Mike Prefer, the coordinator, has enough pull that 
I, I think he will have a lot of say in who they keep at those two positions. And, and I, I feel that's different than Amos Jones. I feel Prefer with his background with Dorsey and the reputation he's built, you know, he's not going to let that room be inexperienced, would be too inexperienced. I, I think he'll fight to keep. Now, this is assuming it's close and all those things. I think he'll fight to keep one of those guys if he believes they should have that job. Mm. And last, last question for you, Scott, is did you notice anything majorly different between the coaches this year and last year? Well, it's hard. You know, they have, obviously, it's almost a completely new staff. Um, You know, I mean, you know, it's a good question, and it's interesting. You see different drills. You know, each coach has specific drills they like. Um, So the running backs will do different drills this year than they did last year, you know. And and the offensive line, I saw them working on different stuff than I saw last year just to switch from Bob Wiley to James Campen. Although, you know, James Campen said a lot of good stuff about Bob Wiley. And he thinks the guys, he left the guys, the room in a great, in great shape. And he thinks those guys are, were taught well last year. So that's, you know, it's good to hear him say that instead of ripping, you know, the guy in front of you. And I, and I do believe that. I think Bob Wiley knew what he was doing as a, as a line coach last year. Um, but I, it was like, I didn't see any super increased tempo in, so far, you know, maybe in training camp, you'll see it, but you know, some coaches come in and there's it's night and day difference. I did not see that. Um, you know, I do think Freddie takes more, takes more input from his assistant coaches than Hugh did, you know, and we saw some of that insight in hard knocks. And I think maybe it's, you know, kind of Freddie paying attention to what he didn't like in a head coach when he worked for him and he wants to listen to these guys and he wants to embrace their ideas. So I think you'll see better communication. And they're also getting to know each other. You know, Todd Munkin's new and Campin's new. There's a lot of kind of different pieces coming together that I think still have to fit together. How good would it be if we had hard knocks this year? It'd be so good, wouldn't it? Oh, it would be great. Now, I do think the Raiders are going to be good with Gruden. But, you know, I just – you saw so much last year that it would be nice to see it again. And you'd see OBJ. I mean, there'd be a million stories again this year. It's a shame that each team can't have their own hard knocks every year. Yeah, they just don't want to give up that kind of information. You know, I mean, the Browns have that show, Building the Browns. And it's a well-done show, but it's, you know, the Browns run it. So if the coaches don't want something aired, it doesn't get aired. And, and hard knocks, you know, the team might be able to kill some stuff from hard knocks, but it can't kill everything. And they got cameras everywhere. So I, I just don't think the coaches or even the GM, right, even the front office or ownership, I don't think they want that inside look. If they, if they did, they'd let us wander the building all day long. Yeah. All right, Scott, that was an amazing insight. Thank you so much. Where can people find your details? Yeah, you can read everything at brownszone.com, brownszone.com. And then follow me on Twitter at Scott Petrak, S-C-O-T-T-P-E-T-R-A-K. Excellent. And we always see Scott in the photos. So um, when, when does training camp start again? Is it end of July? Yeah. They, you know what? They've not released the official schedule, but by my math, the practice should start. I think it's July 24th. So uh, another five weeks of boredom. <laughs> I'm hoping it's five weeks of golf. That's what I'm hoping for. And uh, I, was, I was looking over last year. We signed 
Derek Kindred similar time this year. So maybe we'll we'll sign someone this year. Yeah, I mean that was was Michael Kendricks was last year. year. Yeah, it was close. Um, Greg Robinson was signed even after minicamp last year. So you could see it wouldn't be a stunner to see John Dorsey add a piece. You know, and like we talked about, D line could be a spot. Um, Maybe O line. You know, if he felt the need to, you know, because he lost Desmond Harris or he cut Desmond Harrison. Um, you know, maybe a receiver, although I think they have pretty good depth there. Yeah. I, I would say um, defensive tackle, one or two. Yep. Linebacker, like someone super experienced. And, yeah, maybe one on the O-line. But yeah. We'll- and maybe, you know what, maybe running back, if, if, he really, if he really is trying to trade Duke, I could see adding a veteran running back. Um, so, you know, there's just a couple of possibilities. Yeah, it's, it's a really good point on running back. Um, when you think about it, if Duke's head's not in the right place, Hunt's not starting to week nine, you've only got two running backs. Exactly. That's, that's what I keep coming back to for not trading Duke. So if you're going to trade Duke, you better do something about that spot. Yeah, like um, we get another Hyde or Crowell or right. a Frank Gore, just like some – Vet, vet yep. running, yeah. I completely agree. Yep. Yeah. Well, Scott, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. And seriously, for the next five weeks, what are you doing? Are you just playing golf? Well, I do a little. I mean, I work a little bit. I'll. I think I cover the baseball All Star Game is going to be in Cleveland. Um, I work in the office some, but you know, it's. I'm going to try to play golf. I keep getting my softball games rained out. Um, and then you know, actually, I was just keeping track today or kind of charted out. I got a bunch of Brown stuff to do in advance of training camp. So it won't really be too much of a downtime. Yeah. I've started watching back uh, last year's uh, preseason games just to. Um. <laughs> <laughs> You're a better man than I. I, I. I don't think I could go rewatch the preseason. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to start, do a game per night all the way through. That's why you're the best, Paul. <laughs> all right, Scott. Thanks a lot for your time.